While we hope that various treatment options for a disease like prostate cancer are all viable roads to recovery, it's often difficult to decide which road to take. Is one better than the other? Can we even answer the question? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Richard Valicenti, an associate professor of radiation oncology at Thomas Jefferson Medical College and director of the clinical division, Department of Radiation Oncology at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Dr. Valicenti is nationally and internationally recognized for the radiotherapeutic management of prostate cancer. Doctor, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it's an enormous decision that men are required to make every day what to do when they get diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I'm at a loss what to tell them. I can tell them all the options, but it's very hard for me to steer them one way or the other. What do you do when you, well, I guess when they come to you, they've already made a choice. Well, when they come to see me at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, they usually come through what we have is the multidisciplinary GU Oncology Center, which is part of the Kimmel Cancer Center. These patients come uh, on a Wednesday morning. They see multiple specialists. They see a urologist. They see a radiation oncologist. Uh, they see perhaps a medical oncologist, people from social work and integrative medicine. So lots of times these patients come without any particular treatment in mind. So that sort of gives us the advantage uh, to be able to counsel them with an uh, open mind about the various options for treatment. Now, some patients uh, may not have as many options as other patients. Mm-hmm. Lots of times it depends on the particular prostate cancer that we're asked to evaluate, uh, but most importantly, it also depends on the particular individual, what the patient's uh, wishes and needs are, often at times in relationship to that patient's uh, family. Is it true that most men die with prostate cancer and not from the prostate cancer? Does that still hold water? Well, that is often the argument that uh, patients have what's considered to be an indolent uh, prostate cancer. That's usually dependent very much on their presentation. It depends on how the patients were diagnosed and so forth. But please keep in mind that there's still 40,000 men each year approximately that die because of prostate cancer, which now is considered to be amongst the top uh, cancer-related death rates in the United States. What about the age upon when you are diagnosed? Obviously, that's going to have an impact on what treatment route you choose. Let's say you're a 48-year-old, otherwise healthy man who gets this diagnosis. What would you do? What we would do, we would still counsel the patient uh, regarding his various options. A young patient like that, even with a a favorable prostate cancer and an individual who has a family history of prostate cancer, we don't overly emphasize the option of watchful waiting or observation in such young patients, especially if it's a healthy young patient. We tend to make the discussion around the definitive options uh, for treatment such as uh, radical prostatectomy or the forms of radiation treatment. Now, people argue that younger patients at times should be steered uh, more in the direction of uh, radical surgery. However, there's no prospective randomized trial or good clinical trials to indicate that one therapy is any better than another therapy. So why is that? I mean, there's such a common disease and nobody's doing trials to see which treatment uh, actually works. They have attempted such trials. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you can imagine, to do such a trial really uh, requires that the patients are are really willing to undergo one of 
several very different treatments from the logistical medical standpoint. Radical surgery is a, an invasive procedure. It does involve general anesthesia. There's a amount of blood loss. You know, there's a perioperative risk and so forth. And some patients do not uh, like that notion when there's an option available. Uh, radiation therapy tends to be non-invasive. It tends to have a shorter recovery time uh, than surgery. So logistically, the two treatments are different. And you can imagine it's hard for somebody to make a decision about those two therapies without knowing what therapy they're going to receive. And, mm -hmm. and when you do these controlled right. clinical trials, as you know, they're known as prospective randomized trials. Sure. Hard to blind someone to having surgery. Right. That's part of it. But it's also hard to say, okay, you're either going to have a major invasive operation with a recovery period of, of six weeks or so, or you're going to have the non-invasive or semi-invasive forms of radiation therapy where you can still work uh, on a daily basis. And you can imagine that that would be a very difficult sort of way to plan one's life around. You know, we, we can't tell a patient beforehand they're going to be given one of these therapy or the other because that would bias the results. Uh, and so at that point, what's the purpose of even doing the clinical trial? If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Today, my guest is Dr. Richard Valicenti. We're talking about the pros and cons of surgical versus radiation therapies for treating prostate cancer and how to maneuver the labyrinth of decisions. Dr. Valicenti, are there some good cure numbers out there for each procedure? Yes. I mean, we have a good handle of what the uh, long-term results are regarding efficacy and side effects or toxicity. The best we can tell for men with favorable prostate cancer, which really represents, I guess, the majority of prostate cancer that men present to their physicians, those results, you know, at five to seven years control, tumor control, for all the modalities we've talked about, surgery and radiation is in, in excess of 90% mm -hmm. with acceptable levels of uh, side effects generally under 5 to 10%. The best we know about because, again, we haven't done enough of the large uh, prospective trials. Uh, a lot of these numbers are based on institutional experiences. Uh, at Jefferson, we've looked at our institutional experience for our patients undergoing prostate brachytherapy as well as external beam radiation therapy, uh, and our results are in excess of 90-95% in terms of tumor control. Most of these patients are alive and well. I would say 99-100% of these patients are usually alive and well if they haven't died of other causes. Mm -hmm. Now, that's in the favorable group. Uh, in the higher risk groups or the less favorable groups, those numbers can fall down uh, to 70% at five years as low as 50%, 60%, and that seems to be similar across all uh, treatment uh, modalities. What do you think is, your personal opinion, the best way of catching a prostate cancer early? I mean, do you believe the PSA is worthwhile? Do you think the finger is more sensitive, the combination thereof? I think it needs to be a combination. I mean, still, the PSA is, is the best available test. To screen for prostate cancer, it needs to be done in combination with a rectal examination and an ultrasound sometimes. A lot of these newer assays uh, looking at different components of PSA are not ready for mainstream yet. Uh, there's still patients with prostate cancer who present with a normal PSA, a normal rectal examination, uh, sometimes cited as much as 10% in some studies. 
these are, are the patients I think will benefit from uh, the newer ways of identifying prostate cancer in the future. I'm also wondering if, you know, over the years you've thought about the causes, the root causes of what causes prostate cancer. And I know we may not know the answer, but do you have any inklings? Or are you leaning one way or the other? I've read some people think it could be related to HPV. Well, there's studies looking at infectious elements to lead to the development of prostate cancer virals. You know, HPV is, is one thing that is one potential uh, suspect on the table, but nothing to a point where we are able to create a vaccine, for example, which has been recently created and approved for uh, prevention of cervical cancer. Now, the, the well-defined risk factors for prostate cancer that's often cited are really things that you and I don't have control over. We don't have control over our gender, for example. We don't have control about the fact we're going to be aging or we are aging. And, you know, sometimes certain ethnic populations uh, are at higher risk of developing prostate cancer. I uh, know those are really generally the three main risk factors. You know, is diet a contributing factor? Is smoking a, uh, a contributor to the development of prostate cancer? Again, there's data suggesting that might be the case. Is the jury still out on whether these indeed are causes of prostate cancer to a level that we should be counseling our patients and so forth? I would say at this point in time, no. I'm wondering if someone comes into your center and you know they have to make a decision, but there's two good decisions in front of them, and the patient can go either way. Do you let the patient choose their way, or is there someone there that might steer them a little bit? Well, what we do, one approach, you know, if a patient is undecided about his therapy, we have a buddy program where we have a group of volunteers who've had prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment with our healthcare system. And we ask these patients, we invite these patients to if they would be willing to speak to some of our other patients who are uh, trying to make a decision regarding their treatment options. And I think they would provide them, you know, sort of their experience, their personal experience on the subject, something that they're in a better position than us uh, healthcare professionals to discuss. And last question, I know you presented at the 2007 Prostate Cancer Symposium an abstract on adjuvant hormonal therapy, improving freedom from biochemical relapse in patients receiving dose-escalated radiation therapy. Can you just quickly comment on that? Well, I mean, the issue regarding the newer modalities, the newer approaches to treating men with prostate cancer, with uh, radiation therapy, is focusing on what were the benefits of the addition of hormonal therapy. Now, hormonal therapy has been shown in several large studies, large prospective randomized studies, and these studies were very successful in terms of meeting their uh, goals and have really changed the standard of care in prostate cancer and regarding the integration of hormonal therapy. have all demonstrated a, a overall benefit regarding survival and also other important clinical outcomes. Now, the question that always remains, now, was this benefit because in those studies we used lower radiation doses? doses that we don't uh, use so often today, and these doses are about 10 to 15% lower than the -the state-of-the-art radiation doses that we use in most centers today. So if we're using the higher doses, if we're using the higher doses of radiation therapy uh, with these new improved techniques, is there something to gain by the use of hormonal therapy? 
And this particular study that had the privilege of sort of chairing or leading, you know, there was some suggestion that maybe we still needed to do the hormonal therapy, but it wasn't of the magnitude that one would want to demonstrate. So I think we need to be doing studies in that area. I think this is an important question because if we can omit the use of hormonal therapy, we will be able to effectively treat men with prostate cancer without the associated decrease in the quality of life that we see with patients on medical castration. Well, Dr. Richard Valasanti, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Our current website has a beautiful new library that is available on demand. So if you go to ReachMD.com, you can listen to any show that we have broadcast. Thanks for listening today.